Hey, my name is Kevin Clark. I'm the host of a new football podcast called Slow News Day. I want to tell you about it. On Mondays, Lindsey Jones and I will recap the weekend in football that was, as well as look ahead to what's next. On Wednesday, the normal Slow News Day, the thing you've been watching for years, current players, current coaches, current analysts talking about the football world. And on Friday, it's a wild card. Could be some college football, could be more pro stuff. It's a video podcast, so you can watch it on Spotify or listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on Spotify. It's Slow News Day. It's the Ringers Philly special presented by FanDuel. The playoff action is heating up, and with FanDuel, you can bet on everything from the NBA Finals MVP to who's going to lift the Stanley Cup. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page, plus start betting on the pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus, 18 plus in D.C. and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Hello and welcome. It is the Ringers Philly special. I am not your usual host. I'm not your usual voice. I'm Ben Solak. I'm on the show every week. Uh, But Shio Kapadia, who's usually sitting in this chair, uh, sick this week. DNP, did not practice. Out Wednesday, out Thursday. Uh, So Shio's getting better. He told us us he's going to come around the bend for the weekend. Uh, But not feeling too great this week. So I had to call in a ringer. I had to call in uh, my dear friend, the man responsible for me covering the Eagles, responsible for all my bad takes, none of my good takes. I came up with those myself, but the bad takes I got from him. That's Brandon Lee Gowton, head honcho kingmaker at Bleeding Green Nation. Brandon, BLG. It feels weird to call you Brandon. I always forget your real name. <laughs> good to talk to you again, man. How you been? It feels weird to, to call me my real name. Uh, ben, thank yes, you for having me. I, I never do it. Uh, huge shoes to fill in for here uh i i'm guessing you got literally i I don't know if she was like hey can you just get the biggest guest while i'm out because you maybe you took that literally and got like the tallest (laughs) uh, most physically imposing guest um uh, but certainly uh love the pod listen to every episode here with uh you shield and cliff um so excited to be here I and I, uh, a BGN Radio alum myself. I was thinking about getting Kissed in on the show, Kissed mm. Michael Kissed. Who I used to do the shows for all the OG listeners, but I don't think Kissed follows the team <laughs> enough. I had to get actual <laughs> BLGs to come to the Eagles. Kissed big executive now, big big national guy. Uh, I do want to start there. We're going to do the Thursday ten uh, as we typically do and kind of bop through some of the questions. I know the questions are for Sheila and I, but uh, BLG, as, as he joked, very much can fill those shoes. But I do want to ask just from the jump. Uh, right, you've been like right there with the team. You've been plugged in with the team. I'm out here in Michigan. You've been there in, in Philadelphia. Uh, over the course of the season, I'm sure impressions have changed, so on and so forth. But right now, how are you feeling? Right, like, Both Sheila and I have talked about how our expectations are pretty much, hey, if, if this team doesn't make the Super Bowl, it's a disappointment. Hey, our expectations are they should win the NFC. Just litmus test temperature check for Brandon League out and Eagles team on January, what is it, 20th, 2019, 2023. How are we feeling? It's always, well, it is the 19th, yes. Um, it's not a Friday. Once upon a time, you were in, big into thinking it was uh, Friday on Thursday, but uh, times have changed. There's no <laughs> way of knowing what date it is, all right? I, I've never been able to tell. Uh, it's weird, right? Because the buy kind of just creates a lull. It's like it's cool in, in theory that you get a first-round buy, but then you watch all those other teams play a playoff game, and you're kind of just sitting back and relaxing, and the not having the stress of that is a nice thing, but also mm-hmm. not having the juice of it and feeling like super connected to it involved for a week is a little weird. But um, I think on the whole, uh, I'm ready. I'm ready for this playoff run. I think that 
people are kind of sleeping on the Eagles somehow a little bit it's mm-hmm. for a team that's 14 and three and literally set the franchise record for wins. I feel like all people want to talk about is the concerns, like what could go wrong instead of looking at, hey, what about all these good things they have going for them? So um, I feel like I'm not one to homer it up. I feel like you might back me up. On right. That. Yeah. But in this case, I almost feel like the Eagles aren't getting enough credit somehow. Do you think there's credence to the idea that like they've never felt shakier than right now, at least like not since preseason, just with the Jalen Hurts injury, right? With like, you know, Lane trying to get it out, Sweat trying to get it out. This is about as banged up as they've been all season. So that that does create a little bit of like a, I don't know, it makes, makes you feel a little tight, makes you feel a little, a little worried. Is there credence to that? I mean, I think there's, it's all relative, right? It's it's because they've looked relatively not as dominant as they were for right, so yeah. early in the season that it's like, now they're bad or they're not as good. Um, you know, I think on the whole, again, if you just look at what this team has done and the positives they've going for them and the matchups, the, this, the, the, the sheer talent of this roster and the quarterback who's been a driving factor, which, you know, this is a shoulder question, uh, but he's not in the injury report. So don't don't even know what to fully make of that, by the way. Um, but yeah. here we are. And we have a question about that a little bit later. Yeah, so we'll get to that, yeah. I'm sure. I'm feeling confident. What about you? Uh, I feel very confident that this team is really good. I feel confident they, they can and, and they should and they expect to win the NFC, and that's great. I've said for the past, like, you know, month, month plus that I think it – between them and the Niners, I think the Niners will be slight favorites. I think the Niners are a little bit better. And that's just, that's the nature. Like, the Niners are just really good. Like, that's 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 playoff football. Even when the opposing team's got Brock Purdy, usually when you play a team in late January, that team's really good and has a chance to, you know, they're, they're about evenly matched with you. Obviously, the last time the Eagles played an NFC Championship game, it was, uh, it was you know, it was uproarious. It was absurd. And I, and I think that that can, like, skew expectation a little bit. They play the Niners, the Niners are going to be tough. If they lose the Niners, it's going to suck because they lost to Brock Purdy. If they beat the Niners, it's going to be expected because they're a really good team. That's the nature of playoff football. The only two teams make it to the Super Bowl, and usually there's like four or five teams that, that should and can make it. I think the Eagles and Niners are both both two of those teams. As, as it is, though, getting the Giants on the draw is really big. Getting the Giants in the division round, I think, is a very big deal because Dallas would have been a lot tougher mm. of an opponent. Um like I said, we're going to do the Thursday 10 kind of as we typically do. I'll have the same game parlay later, the same way we typically do. Uh, I'll just be the one reading the questions. And so this first question is about the Giants. Uh, Sean asks, can anyone explain the optimism behind a team that's only won three in the last two months, <laughs> two against non-playoff teams in the Vikings? Eagles are fairly healthy and at home. Line might be too low. Yes, I took the points. There was a follow-up. Uh, I think it was from Patrick, which was, uh, is Isaiah Hodges going to break Jerry Rice's all-time receptions record, or does he settle in at 1,200, 1,300 catches, which is a good uh, uh, acknowledgement of, of who's producing now for the Giants. But that initial question from Sean uh, is correct, right? This Giants team started out 6-1. and one. There was a lot of surprise that they were kind of as, as successful as they were early. And then down the stretch of the season, they were able to stay above the playoff line, but it wasn't as great. Since their bye week, beat Houston, lost to Detroit, lost to Dallas, tied with the Commanders, lost to Philadelphia, beat the Commanders, lost to the Vikings in Week 16, beat the Colts, lost to the Eagles, and then obviously beat the Vikings in the wildcard round. So I know... I'm pretty sure I know your answer to this one, but generally Vikings being a little bit overstated right now, you think, as they uh, they enter the divisional round? Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. Everyone was like, the Vikings aren't any good. And then the Giants beat them. And then it's like, wow, what a win for the Giants. It's like, wait a minute, what is going on here? And right. I was among those, you know, who certainly believe that the Vikings were not any good. Um, I think recency bias is certainly playing into here. Again, just the fact that the Giants won last week, and that's in everyone's minds, whereas the Eagles, you know, haven't had a like I guess a satisfying win in a bit. Um, again, yeah. that's all relative because some teams would just love to get a win a, in any kind of form at all. Um, and again, I, I think this season should not be taken for granted. Uh, I do want to give a shout out to you know great friend of the pod here, Denise, Dennis uh, Selman, who Dennis. put out the playoff. Uh, team records versus teams with winning records this season. The Eagles are actually at the top of that list at 7-1 and one in games against teams that finish with a winning record. Guess who's dead last in the playoffs remaining? The Giants at 3-7. and seven. And then if you look at their record versus the teams that are actually still in the playoffs currently right now, the Eagles are 4-1, and one, where the Giants are 1-4. and four. Um, So certainly, you know, I do think there is a ceiling with this Giants team. I think the talent limits them overall. But I think the general thing you, you can give them credit for, you know, aside from all this kind of ties into the coaching, they just kind of hang around, right? They, they're just there. Like, they're not like, yeah. they're, they're rarely just out of it. Yeah, I think that when I when I try to understand, like, Giants 
peak, right? When I turn, like like this this you know excitement for the Giants that that's rolling up. I think of two things. One, everybody loves to talk about like you know a free agent quarterback and a young quarterback entering a second contract. Like the Daniel Jones myth to me right now is the biggest myth with the Giants. So people are like, wow, Daniel Jones, forty million a year. I'm like, All right, if you want to, like <laughs> I, we have a lot of data, but sure, I guess I, it's like. You know, he, he can run, and, and I think we're, we're still learning how much a scrambling quarterback matters. I think Jones can be a perfectly functional starter, but I think, like, if you watch the way the Titans gave Ryan Tannehill a contract and are now like, wait, shoot, can we get out of this contract? You see the way the Raiders gave Derek Carr a contract with the whole goal of being able to get out of it? Like, that's just what you're, you're signing yourself up for with Daniel Jones. With Jared Goff, the trade out of the Rams, like, I just don't think you want to be stuck in this spot. So, that, like, I think the Jones hype is inflating Giants hype overall. And I think a lot of that is misplaced. What I will say is like that Giants team that went six and one was so surprising because they were having injuries at that time. And then over like the, the back half of the season, they were still missing important guys in the back half of the season. Like Xavier McKinney went down, Dane Belton went down. Uh, they had lost, I want to say like Daniel Bellinger was still gone for a couple weeks. They lost to Williams for a couple weeks. Yeah. So they had injuries late, but in general, they've been getting healthier. And that's the thing is like, if, if you take the records out of my brain, who they've beaten and when they've beaten them, I watch Giants football over the course of this season, and I say, yeah, Giants are playing the best ball of their season, right? It's not like, wow, they were terrible, and now they're amazing. It's just, they were a spunky team, and now they, like, really know where their bread's butter. They really know how to kind of, like, get to their spots and, like, cause their problems, right? They figured out defensively how much they want to blitz, who they want to blitz, who they want to cover. Like, they're playing their best ball. They're still seven points worse than the Eagles. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's still a touchdown spread. Deservedly so. Eagles are more talented across the board. With that said, the Giants are as confident as they've been, and they've been playing their best ball. And I think that's why you see Giants hype, even though they started 6-1 and one and then ended the season, what, like 3-5-1, and 3-6-1, something like that? Like, taking the records out of it, they're just healthier and, and more complete than they have been. Doesn't mean they're good. Doesn't mean they're as good as the Eagles. It's just on their relative arc, this is the best they've been. I think the Giants, uh, and this is oh, the way that um, my cohort at BigBlueView.com, Ed Valentine, has talked about it. They they have a path to victory, but it's a very narrow path. There's not a lot of margin for error, error, yeah. error. Sorry, uh, because of the lack of talent on that roster. Um, and when it, it's going well, it looks good. It looks nice. Like it's like okay, this team can hang. But again, it's just when things start to spiral. It's just I, I don't think they have that room, especially when you go up against a team like the Eagles, who are just by. Yeah. Stark contrast is so much more talented. It's like when you see, you know, your buddy who's into cars and he's like, you know, been like putting together a car and he like fixed the transmission. He opens it and he kind of shows you the new thing that he installed under the hood. And you don't really get it, but you know that it's like impressive. And he's got like, you know, he like added rims and he like put subwoofers in. You're like, oh, this is kind of sick. And then you see like an actual sports car and you're like, oh, wait, no, that's better. That when it's actually the thing. And then you kind of like strap it together with duct tape. That's the Giants, right? Where you like mm. look at how they've assembled it, how they've duct taped it and rigged it, you know, kind of MacGyvered it together. You're like, oh, cool, well done. And then you see a team like the Eagles, you're like, oh, well, that's that's the Super Bowl team. You guys are doing great, though. Keep this up. This is awesome. Very proud of you. That's the real thing over there. So I, th- I think that's that difference in authenticity is something you'll see this Saturday. Uh, question number two from Dave. This I like. I like. I want to hear your answer to this one. I made sure I kept this one in for you. Uh, who are you most confident mm. will show up in a major way on this playoff run? Dave said playoff run. We're mooning multiple games. Drop that down. I can see both Smitty and AJ just playing out of their minds and dominating games. What say you? So, uh, hang your hat on somebody, offense or defense, name two if you like. Major way in this playoff run, who's going to stand out? I'm sorry to go chalk here, but it's Dylan Hurts, man. It's just true, though. But when that, you look no, at it, boo. Don't but take it's chalk. true. It absolutely is true when it comes to like the the tenor and the 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 temperature of this team. Like I believe in like that. That was a thing with Nick Foles back in 2017. Is just. You know, I was the biggest Nick Foles skeptic. <laughs> I still yeah. probably give him more criticism overall. Obviously, I appreciate it. I love Nick Foles. But um, as a bit, I kind of, you know, maybe go overboard sometimes. Um, but when you look at what he did that year and by, by, by the Super Bowl, by, you know, the NFC Championship game, I was like, I was wrong. And the biggest thing with him and why I was so wrong is this guy is just so composed. Like, I just, I trust him. He's not going to, there isn't going to be that, sorry, Carson Wentz, but there's going to be that Carson Wentz, like just totally beat himself moment, um, do something terrible. Um, this Kirk, or like a Kirk Cousins moment at the end of the game where he's checking it down on fourth day. Like, I, I just believe he's not going to do that now. You know, it's tough here again because of the shoulder and everything, but I truly believe that like Jalen Hurts, who is, 
you know, you know how we have spider charts, you know, mockdraftable.com, yeah. you know, for whatever, 40 yard dash. I feel like you put, if you put like whatever you're going to call it, competitiveness or whatever, like Jalen yeah. Hurts is like 99 percentile. And I feel like all he's been thinking about leading up to this game is that Bucks lost last year. And, you know, how there was so much discourse mm-hmm. after the season that kind of wiped out some of the good things he did and was like, you know, Jalen Hurts might not be the guy. And I feel like he's just been waiting for this moment after that game to get back. And I think about how he performed in week two against the Vikings, like in you know, those primetime spot and he was just so ready to prove all these doubters that he still had early in the season this year wrong and you know he did that little flex after he threw the touchdown to your boy Quez Watkins there and I, I just believe in Hurts man I, I think that he's special right. when it comes to the composure of it all and I, I believe in him yeah it's I, I'm glad you brought up that Bucks loss because right like I think that that like poise and that competitiveness and that rise to the occasion has all been true and it's been true for multiple years but obviously last year in the playoffs he just got outgunned and that's the one thing that yeah like I was a big leader of the like okay Jalen Hurts had a solid 2021 season but watch the playoff game like that's how he plays against playoff defenses like Mm -hmm. that's a limit on his ceiling this past uh, uh, season he's had generally great performances right i thought like that jags game against a, a, a defensive coordinator that was on that buck staff was going to be a sign he had a great game against him like even the cardinals were like they blitzed him well he still played well enough he avoided mistakes and like the eagles were able to, to to win that one out and so he's had the gutty performances against defenses like the ones that stopped him this martindale defense does a lot of the similar things to what the bucks defense did in that playoff game right in terms of the blitz and in terms of, of playing man coverage i'm going to be really interested to see like i i i I can see him coming out a lot of different ways because, like, the health and, and mm-hmm. what percentage his shoulder at, like, it just widens the spectrum. But there's a way that he comes out much similar to, like, the first Giants game he played where it's just mm-hmm. fire. It's just flamethrower for the first two quarters. Like, all right, well, I don't even need to care about the second <laughs> half. Like, that's very much a reasonable outcome. I think that's great. Um, like, the player that I'm most confident will show up in a big way this playoff run is uh, 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 J- Darius Slay and James Bradbury are the two guys mm. that I wanted to bring up because – I think in, like, if you're telling me the Eagles make a major playoff run, then you're telling me the defense didn't kill them. And if the defense didn't kill them, which Jonathan Gannon absolutely 100% <laughs> is going to allow moments in which the defense could potentially kill them, it means the Eagles cornerback room is doing their job and hopefully doing their job so well that Gannon feels comfortable letting them play in man coverage. It's the number one thing that I'd like to see in the playoffs. Is like when, when, when we talk about regular season ball, okay, like run your stuff. That's great. Playoffs is all about matchups. Playoffs is all about bespoke game plans. If you see the opposing team with Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton, and you have Darius Slay and James Bradbury, and you don't play man coverage, I don't know what you're looking at. I don't know what you've been looking at for the last two weeks, right? I don't, I, you can't, you can't square that for me. So uh, I expect solid games from them this week. And then critically next week, that's where things get extremely interesting in terms of, of if they get a team like the Niners, right? Where the Niners are so good at throwing in the middle of the field and critically with Brock Purdy, they've been really good throwing deep down the field that you absolutely 100% need guys like Brad Brain Slay to win at the catch point, right? You need them to be able to stick in coverage against some of the most talented receivers in the league, against one of the, the toughest offenses that may make you run around, right? Like if they just play straight zone, Brad Brain and Slay are going to be removed from the game because they, the Niners don't need to throw to that area. And so the, the, they have the way to take these Eagles star players completely out of it if Gannon lets them. And that's, that's a, it's a scary thing to think about. So Bradbury and Slayer are the two players that I think if the Eagles do make a big run, it's because we see them make high-impact plays in the passing game. I think I believe in Bradbury a little bit more. And I want to get your take on this after I'm done. Uh, which corner you believe in more? Because you have to pick one. You cheated and you picked two. The Slay thing is a little interesting to me. Not to say he's been, like, bad later in the year, but he hasn't been, I think, the same Slay we saw earlier in the season. I mean, first of all, he doesn't have a pick since week six off a Cooper rush, you know, for a guy named Big Play Slay. Like, you know, it'd be nice to to have an interception here, especially in the playoffs. And over the past four games, according to PFF's charting, for what it's worth, he's allowing a 139.1 passer rating when targeted. So, you know, I feel like if there's someone who needs to step up sneakily uh, and and might be living off the reputation more than the production recently, I feel like it might be him. Uh. Passer rating when targeted, like to me, is is like very like it's a very like selection thing. Like I, I couldn't care less about a corner's passer rating when targeted. Um, like I go back to the Isaiah Hodgins touchdown that he gave up, right? Right. And he he had his ball in his gut, or he had his hand in his gut, and the ball just landed in a slightly different part of his gut. Like it's just it's it's wait that was best. Kenny Galladay. Sorry, Kenny Galladay. Excuse me. Yeah, his, yeah. his Kenny Galladay's one and only touchdown yeah. with the New York Giants. Exactly, and so it, it's stuff like that where it's like. 
you can't like corner play is so volatile. Slay's done a largely a lot of the same stuff in the past month that he's done all season. He's got a little bit more punished for some of the mm. risk taking. He's got a little bit less reward in terms of like pass breakups that become Chauncey Gardner Johnson interceptions. It's the nature of corner play. Like like we joke on this pod all the time about how once a game a team tests Bradbury with a sluggo because Bradbury loves to jump on the sluggos. Sometimes Bradbury gets like sick pass breakups on slants. Sometimes he gives up huge touch, uh, catches to Rashid Shahid. It's the nature of corner play. You know what I'm mm. saying? Like. When I, when, I, when an offensive guard makes a little bit of a good play, the run goes for six yards instead of four yards. When he makes a little bit of a bad play, it goes for two yards instead of four yards. When a corner makes a little bit of a good play, second and ten. When he makes a little bit of a bad play, 50-yard gain. Like, it's just how the position goes. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not too worried about like Slay relative to Bradbury. What I will say is that one, like, one maximizes the other. You have, like, like Look at the Cowboys right now. The Cowboys have Trayvon Diggs. It's a good corner, good outside corner. They've had injuries everywhere else. And so they're trying to figure out what calculus of corners, what combination of guys works best for them such that teams can't just play the, okay, we don't throw a Trayvon Diggs game, right? They've got, they had the rookie, Deron Bland, who's playing the nickel. They had him playing the outside, playing the, playing the outside corner too last week against the Buccaneers, and they had a safety playing the slot. So they're still trying to figure out what combination of guys makes it so we actually maximize the value of having a player like Diggs. The Eagles don't have to deal with that because of the depth that they have at corner. And that's why I picked two. So, <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to come back with the rest of the questions for Thursday 10. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe plug-in hybrid is built for the best of both worlds. For the city buzz, for the call of the wild, for finding solitude, for sharing memories, for day trips, and for far-roaming adventures. Because with gas and electric capability, the Jeep Grand Cherokee 4xe inspires you to explore more, to explore it all. Tap the banner to learn more. Jeep is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. Okay. Question number three. This is a very similar question, but it's specific to this game. Uh, which and this Who's it from? A little bit. This is from Ron. Ron asks, which lesser-known Eagles player, thank you, not named Giant Killer, shout out to Boston Scott, do you see playing a big role in this game? Pick one for offense and one for defense. Uh, I'm happy to start with this one sure. because I think Dallas Goddard is going to have 400 receiving yards in this game. You just watch the way that these Giants linebackers play, and you watch how well T.J. Hawkinson performed against them when they played in zone, and it's just really hard not to see Goddard being such a huge part of the Eagles' game plan, both in design and then also just in structure, right, like when he's part of, the, part of the passing concept. So this Giants team has gotten better on the defensive front, came on Thibodeau getting healthy. They got better at corner, Adoree Jackson's back. They're still starting Jalen Smith and Jared Davis at linebacker, mm. man. I mean... <laughs> It's as dire of a group as you're going to see make it to the division round of the playoffs. It's astounding that they fi- figured out a way to hide these guys for this long. Uh, I think you're going to get a big Dallas Goddard game. Even if they get a safety over him, like Goddard's good enough where he can just big boy a safety. So offensively, I love Dallas Goddard. Defensively, I think you have to and will get a big game out of Brandon Graham because mm. I'm not sure how much you're going to get out of Josh Sweat. right? And if we're, we're in a position where Sweat is limited, if he's not able to play, who's that second pass rush guy the Eagles are going to put out right opposite Hassan Reddick who's going to be the, the guy it's not going to be Robert Quinn not with the way he played when they traded for him and not with him coming off injury it's going to be Brandon Graham and I think that Graham coming off of that big of a season how big of a season he's had come uh, his his career high sack total going against a divisional opponent and what could be another Super Bowl run for him with the Eagles as his career comes to kind of a twilight like that's just it's a great setup for having like a critical Brandon Graham sack obviously Graham himself with a critical sack in the last Super Bowl run. Mm. Uh, and with this Giants defense, or Giants offensive line, excuse me, uh, you have Andrew Thomas, who's been a really great left tackle. Sweat was awesome against him when they played. Um, but Thomas will generally win his. And then on the other side, you have Evan Neal. 
liability. <laughs> and he's particularly liability to power because his, his, his feet are really heavy. Uh, you get Hassan Reddick on Andrew Thomas, you go strength against strength. You get Brandon Graham against Evan Neal, Brandon Graham's going to win that matchup more than, more than a few times. And Daniel Jones is a very sackable quarterback, was especially so in the first game they played. So offensively, Dallas Goddard, defensively, I think uh, the Eagles will be rewarded for how many talented defensive ends they've got in the building, get a good Brandon Graham game. It's hard to go under the radar for offense because, like, what are you going to say? Yeah. Zach Pascal is going to pop off here, or Kenny Gain? Yeah. Like, you can't really predict that. By oh, the way, nice, like, nice two catches and thirty yards for Grant Calcaterra. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, Jack Stoll. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think it is Goddard offensively. Uh, I like this question, by the way. I meant to set up the context for this because I think, at least going back to twenty seventeen of it all, there is something to maybe a player unexpected. The elevating their game in the playoffs. Uh, Torrey Smith, I think, kind of gets under-discussed and how good he was in the playoffs relative yeah. to how underwhelming he was in the regular season that year where literally every game started with like a dumb swing pass to him for no good reason. I don't know. There's a little uh, five-yard speed out. They're running yeah, against off-coverage. Yeah. Every like single every first game, drive. Like, what are we doing? Uh, yeah. in, in the regular season, he had 67 targets, uh, 36 receptions, 430 yards, two touchdowns in the playoffs. In three games in the playoffs, he had twenty he had catch off of Keanu Neal's knee that turned that game around. That's right. He had twenty targets. He had thirteen receptions. So, um, like over a third of his receptions relative to the regular season, and then thirty six point five percent of his regular season total in yards. He had one fifty seven and a touchdown. And oh, by the way, he kind of set the tone for the playoffs a little bit there. He drew a forty two yard pass interference penalty on the first play from scrimmage against the Falcons. So I think there is something right. to yeah. yeah. You know, maybe someone turns it up like, out of nowhere here. Um, Dallas Goddard was not available for the first Eagles-Giants game. So I certainly mm-hmm. think he might be kind of qualifying for under the radar in that regard. And then we just saw TJ Hawkinson, who I don't know how you feel about Hawkinson. Like, I don't think he's that great. He's fine. He's good. But, like, can't hold he's a He's like if Dallas Goddard were slightly worse at everything. <laughs> there you go. So, you know, I think Goddard is set to crush. You pointed out the linebackers there. I think I have an interesting pick. Hopefully, maybe uh, you'll consider it that way. For defense, I'm gonna go Milton Williams. Uh, Milton, he's been good. Yeah, dude, this he's, past week or the past month, excuse me. As, well, specifically against the Giants in Week 14, he had one sack, two TFLs, two QB hits, two of his six career sacks, and 14. Sorry, four of his 15 career TFLs have come against the Giants. And then if you look at like what he's done recently, uh, one tackle for loss in each of his last three games. He has five in his last five games. And that's only after having four in the first 12 games of this season. And he only had six TFLs last year as a rookie in 17 games. So uh, it seems like he's healthier. seems like the light's kind of going on for him a bit there. Obviously, there's going to be a big rotation at defensive tackle like the Eagles have pretty much done here, especially after adding Sue and Linval Joseph. Um, but I think Milton could sneakily kind of have uh, an important game here. Oh, I love the Milton pick. That's so good. I wish I had thought of it. I've been I've been singing his praises, and then he just named just was outside of my brain for this mm-hmm. question. Uh, yeah, the the penetration, especially in like short yardage and goal line situations, from Milton Williams has been so important. It, he beats a block. He makes the numbers right. He cleans things up, and he keeps T.J. Edwards clean. He keeps Kaiser White clean. He moves backs off their path. We saw it with uh, with Barkley against Alvin Tomlinson, though. You can, it's one thing to get in the backfield. Then you have to tackle him and, and hit him and bring him down. And so that's where like you know those TFL numbers might get tested. Milton Williams and mm. Saquon Barkley like the same size, but <laughs> it's uh, that having that disruption is, is such a big deal. It's it's very cool to me that the Eagles like signed Adamic and Sue in the middle of the season. They were kind of like got Linval Joseph. They're like ah, Adamic and Sue as well, just in case. And Sue's been like whatever. Like his first couple weeks, he was like nice and like spry and he looked good. But since then, he's just kind of been fine. And really, it was the the call was coming from inside the house. Milton Williams was that like second string penetration player that they needed. He's been great for them down the stretch. Yeah, and he began the season like hurt. Got to think he got banged up either early in the year or training camp, and I think he's just been getting healthier and coming off the bye. You know, should be even better. Yeah. Uh, by the way, Domkin Sue seventy four. We don't do jersey number analytics pod anymore, but holy smokes, man! Why yeah, we do. So what bad? are you talking about? We just did oh, we, that. We, yeah, we do it once a year. I'm just saying. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not like we don't. We don't update oh, it. Like we just kind of do it constantly you know, throughout the pod. Yeah, once a year. Yeah, I'm bleeding yeah. your nation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next question. This one from Jacob. Here's the. Uh, prototypical depressed eagles fan pessimistic glass half empty question if the eagles lose what this is what this is what shiel is rooting for right yeah absolutely yeah shiel who just continues to insist to me that he's not an eagles fan uh what will be the thing that does them in if the eagles lose bad jalen game lane goes out gannon gets gannon daniel jones escapes the pocket blg any one of those pop to mind 
Hmm. You know, I think back to the Eagles' three losses this year. Three. Only three out <laughs> of, of 17. Two of which came without Jalen Hurts. Two of which came without Jalen Hurts. Two of which came where they turned the ball over four times, which I'm really not worried about them doing most games. I don't think that's something that even if they're particularly reckless, that's like that's that's pretty hard to do. I feel like turn the ball over four times, especially for a team that has generally been good at not turning the ball over like that and has a quarterback who is pretty good at not putting the ball in harm's way for the most part. Um, so, you know, I guess it's, it's something like that. It could be kind of um, I, I guess I would lean towards the Gannon thing of the, any of those options presented from the standpoint of uh, the commander's game. I think that's kind of the path to victory for the Giants here is or kind of what the even the Ravens were trying to do against the Bengals. Shorten the game, you know, go on these long drives. And look, that's easier said than done. If it was simple, then every team would do that. Yeah. And fortunately, you know, the defensive coordinator you're facing wants the game to be played that way. He's fine with that being <laughs> the nature of the football game, which can be frustrating. Um but yeah, I think it's that. And then the other biggest concern I guess I would have is, you know, the Hurts, I'm not really like panicking about how he looked in week 18 because I think he's going to be healthier. I think that game plan was obviously limited, but there were times you know, where the Giants were getting to him. And unlike the regular Jalen Hurts, um, he seemed to be going down quicker. Again, part of that is that situation. I think he's going to be more, you know, willing to stay up and fight for yards and run when he has to in this matchup. But, you know, if they're just sending a ton of pressure his way and he's unable to escape like than he usually can, well, mm. that's a problem. So I'll say that, uh, I'm a little bit concerned about a yeah bad Jalen game. I think that this is a blitz-heavy team, and that's been the thing that Jalen has struggled with over the course of last season and this season. He's 17th, 19th in EPA per play when he's blitzed, right? He goes from being like an elite quarterback to more of like a league average, which is okay. You still have mm-hmm. these great weapons. You still have the ability to run the football. It's not like, oh, you know, all you got to do is send six and Jalen Hurts breaks. It's just the Eagles tend to be really simple on offense against the Blitz. They throw a lot of screens and then it becomes a tackle game, right? If Devontae Smith breaks a tackle, we're ahead of the six. If he doesn't, we're behind the six. And that's just, again, like it's not a bad offense. It's just way more manageable of an offense than the one that played the Giants in week 14, where the Eagles were like, where's Rodarius Williams? Throw it at him. Like he's not playing this week. You know what I'm saying? So there's, there's that aspect of it. Uh, if Lane goes out, I think we'll be okay. I'd like for Lane to play and be good and be healthy and be 100% the whole game. I'm not sure we're going to get that. Mm. I, to me, playing with an abdominal tear at offensive line sounds like horrible or core strength is so important. So we'll see. Gannon gets Gannon is 100% uh, a, a, my biggest concern. It actually mm. folds into Daniel Jones' escapes the pocket. Um, these numbers from, from True Media via Nate Tice of The Athletic. Eagles have given up the second most expected points added to quarterback scrambles in the NFL this season. Their defensive success, success rate against scrambles is the fifth worst in the league. And then against design runs, they are uh, 29th in success rate allowed, so fourth worst, and 29th in EPA per rush, fourth worst. Uh, some of this is selection bias because only half the teams in the league play Justin Fields this week, this year. And all of those teams are also like way, way at the bottom. So some of that is just, did you play the bears? Yes or no. And kind of having to deal with that offense. But you saw the Eagles struggle with uh, quarterback speed and, and, and quarterback scramble in part because of structure, right? They kind of rush for, and, and they ask those four to get home. Uh, when they play with the quarterback spy, they play with TJ Edwards, who's more athletic and is faster this year, but really like, the Eagles are not a very big physical group in the back seven. So when Daniel Jones gets out, he has the advantage. Like the only player in the Eagles back seven who like, I think has a legitimate, like equal tackling physicality, explosiveness in space to Jones is TJ. And even then it's like kind of equal. It's kind of a stalemate. Kaiser, like Epps is a big hitter, but like Epps can be an inconsistent tackling against angles. And then like certainly like Avante Chauncey in the corners, like Daniel Jones is really big. Daniel Jones is like 6'4", 240. Daniel Jones is fast. Like, he, he, he's, he's an antelope out there. Like, it's tough to tackle him. So a lot of the Eagles' struggles with quarterback run aren't structure, so it's tough to fully put it on Gannon because, like, they'll play zone, they'll have eyes on the guy, they'll play with the spy. It's just the fact that they're not super big, and, and they can struggle to get him down if he gets out of the pocket. They had a ton of sacks on him in the first game. They did a great job of keeping him in the pocket. That's the critical thing. When you get there, you have to get him down, and if your job is to just kind of you know, Davis Corner is called hug rush, right? Where you just kind of like, you know, rush on the side and you don't try to get too far over your skis and make sure he doesn't escape. If that's your job, you got to let that be your job. You cannot let him get free escapes. And and Jones, particularly because of the way that Dable coaches this team, if Jones sees daylight, he's gone. There's no like, oh, you know, 
maybe I should get to my second read. No, no, no. Like, you can tell by the way that he behaves that Dable and Mike Kafka, the offensive coordinator, tell him, if you see an alley, go. We don't, I don't need you throwing a six-yard check down to Richie James. Get up. Go. And so the rush lane integrity, keeping him in the pocket and getting him down when you get to him, is critical. Every time Jones gets out of the pocket, the Giants' offensive sideline is going to be happy and the Eagles' defensive sideline is going to be worried. Even if it ends up being a good play, that's net positive for the Giants. That's where they want to be. So the, the, uh, if you tell me the Eagles lose this game, I'm telling you Daniel Jones had 80 rushing yards. I think that, that that's the one thing that can really, really keep this thing close down the stretch. Yeah, I remember you mentioned with Shield, I think, on um, Monday's pod that like every time Evan Neal got beat, <laughs> he'd just take off running. So then, yeah. um, you know, he was fine. He, so he was doing a good job of managing the pocket or getting out of the pocket in that regard. Also, I guess adding on to the running thing is just that this isn't the same Daniel Jones of the past where you could just count on a turnover or multiple turnovers. Like he's, he's taking good care of the football. It's kind of crazy yeah. how his numbers went from, I went back to once upon a time, like his college days at Duke and I tracked like his fumbles per game. And he was almost at least at one, if not more per game. And that's just gone away. And it's, it's just kind of crazy. So I think the combination of his legs and just the way he's been able to take care of the ball is huge. Yeah. The, uh, I appreciate your note on turnovers, too. A lot of quarterback run in both of these games. And Jones has done a great job avoiding turnovers. Jones, Jones has been accurate. The thing that jo- causes Jones to create turnovers is when his process gets rushed because he's a little bit of a slow processor and when coverage is, like, disguised. Guess what the Eagles do not do defensively? So I th- I'm not sure you're going to be able to get turnovers out of Jones. But mm. ball security for these quarterbacks, mesh points with the back, like, that's going to be a big thing. A fumble changes this game which is like dumb a fumble always changes this game but with how much there's going to be quarterback run involved you got to watch out for those those fumbles in the backfield uh number five is kind of our last big schematic question looking at this game from nick uh how should the eagles combat combat wink martindale's blitzes in this game and this is a a really good question it's something that we've alluded to now a little bit uh over the course of certainly like the giant season and us talking about that but also in this podcast alone uh wink martindale the dc for the giants who's getting uh, head coaching buzz, which I find really funny because, like, he's done a great job. But also, last year he was fired by the Baltimore Ravens <laughs> for doing pretty much exactly this that he's doing now. So just a little bit, you know, is um, I was surprised to see it. Regardless, uh, Martindale is known for how much he blitzes. Now, with the Giants, he's done it less over the previous several weeks, right? He was yes. an extremely heavy blitzer, league-leading blitzer before the bye. After the bye, they're still, like, top 10. But it's not nearly as much. And when they blitz, previously with the Ravens, previously to start with the Giants, they would just play like straight man coverage behind it. And you saw the Eagles take advantage of this, right? Like the big A.J. Brown touchdown, it's just cover one with, with, one, with one safety back there, right? It's five in the rush, six in the coverage. Okay, well, we're going to take A.J. Brown against anybody. You got Durrell Revis back there. We're going to throw this ball to A.J. Brown. <laughs> You've seen them down the stretch be more uh, zone-oriented. Uh, they'll, they'll rush four, and they'll drop a guy from depth, and they'll try to get a, a player underneath. So like when the Eagles blitz... That, that character, that appearance is a little bit more now where the Wink Martindale blitzes go. So he's, you know, played more split field. And he's played more zone. He absolutely 100% has grown. But when you look at this Eagles offense, like I've said, you want to send extra bodies. And in doing so, you want to simplify this offense. The question is, how should the Eagles combat Martindale's blitzes? What they should do is they should take isolation shots on the outside when they get them, right? Don't call screens into blitzes. Call screens into blitzes on one side of the formation and call a shot downfield on the other side. That means they have to put A.J. Brown and Devontae on different sides, and that's where the Eagles' wide receiver depth starts to be a little bit of an issue. It'd be nice if they had, like, a third guy they really, really trusted. But, like, you know, <laughs> it, uh, you know, it's a first-world problem. You, you know love the shot like, quiz. You love, yeah. you love to Well, it's the just shots. the nature of it, right? Like, one of the results of how the Eagles have built the receiver room is that it's tough for them to run the screens that they want to run against these blitzes while also pre-snap looking like they might do something else. Because if you put Quez, Devontae, and A.J. Brown all to one side, A.J. can't catch the screen because Devontae and Quez can't block. Like, Devontae's like a tough blocker. He'll do his best, but like they just don't have the size for it. And then even when A.J. blocks, like, I love A.J. to death, A.J. does not like blocking. It's not fun for him. He doesn't enjoy it very much. And sometimes the uh, effort and form is a little bit lacking. So you want to throw these wide receiver screens, you got to get Zach Pascal on the field. Well, once you get Zach Pascal on the field, you're doing one of two things, screen or RPO. <laughs> I've, I've, you know, that's that's what Pascal is. So it's like how their, their wide receiver depth affects them a little bit. So you got to get your one-on-ones on the outside. But critically, I think the answer to should is they should run the football. I like <laughs> so I'm sure many, I'm sure we get a lot of pushback on that. <laughs> so many of the times where the Eagles offense has been a little bit shaky this year. 
so much of the solution, in my opinion, has been fewer RPOs, more R's. <laughs> Just give it, <laughs> right? Just like, you know, uh, yeah, like it's fun to have the options, right? It's fun to like third and one Gardner Minshew. Let's do a little like RPO with the flat and everything. Like have all, and we'll always get into the right call, but sometimes you get got. So uh, you have a really good offensive line. One of the best ways to take the air out of a blitz is to run into it. Sometimes you're gonna like yeah, a free rusher's gonna come and you're gonna get Miles Sanders two yards behind line of scrimmage. That's gonna suck. Sometimes they're gonna their their gaps right, their fit's gonna be unsound. And you're gonna hit a sixty yard touchdown right. That's what Miles Sanders brings. That's the explosiveness. Uh, you absolutely one hundred percent like if you can be an early down run team, just true traditional run or even like dummy RPOs where you're always giving it. You protect Jalen Hurts from getting hit. You establish a running game. Obviously, like you said, the Giants want to shorten the game. You run the risk of doing that as well. But when the Eagles chunk together these 12, 13-play drives, when their offense is at the best. So I think you can take your isolation shots. You can still run your screens and run your Dallas Goddard RPOs. Like you said, like you didn't have Goddard in the first game. Run your Goddard screens, the little fake tight end delay where he blocks for a while. Like That's a great play. They do a great job with that. But in general, I think their biggest solution is uh, for as fun as it would be to like throw the ball over the yard, Jalen Hurts 350 yards in his first game back and you know whatever, just run the ball. Just run, keep this simple. Keep it physical. You're better than they are. Run the football. I mean, they had 31 attempts for 253 yards, 8.2 average, and four touchdowns the last time they played uh, the Giants in week 14. Um, you know, and the Giants are healthier on defense than they were back then. I, I don't think they had Leonard Williams at the time. So certainly, you know, they're probably more equipped to stop the run than they were then. But still, uh, I think Miles Sanders avoiding being on the injury report this week is kind of flying a little bit under the radar because everyone, you know, obviously focused on Hurts. He was on the injury report for the past couple weeks of the regular season. He was like, limited early in the week, and he, was, he actually had that knee break on and Nick Sirianni kind of even admitted um, after the loss to the Saints I believe that you know he wasn't like ready to kind of have like a huge workload that he normally might right. be so you know if you're going to have that cautious approach with him late in the regular season and then he gets this bye then you better be doing that in part because you're ready to ride him out just like you were against the Giants earlier this year and that worked out pretty well um, you know obviously Hertz was a big part of that running performance too he had 7 for 77 and I don't know that you can really count on him having that kind of performance against this yeah. I will say one of my favorite things, though, is Jalen Hurts against the Blitz, where he just decides to take off running instantly. He's like, oh, they're just vacating all of this space. I can just run through this, and no one can stop me. So um, yeah. I, I'd it's be partial to that. sometimes, right? Sometimes. We talk a lot of, on this on the file. Like, Jalen Hurts' decisiveness. So many times when Hurts is, like, a game where you're like, wait, how is he this good? Like, you like, look at the stats. You look at, like, these better points. Like, holy smokes. Where did this come from? He realized it's because of how decisive he was. He was just always making decisions. Just, all right, this is a good choice. I'm going to make it now and go. The issue is when it's like third and seven, he sees a blitz and he's like, it's running time. And then he just <laughs> runs into pressure. And you're like, buddy, like sometimes you got to, you know, you have to hang in the pocket. So it, it's it's continuing to calibrate to that. But that's also like a young player figuring it out. You know what I'm saying? That's again, that's that's more a first world problem than than anything bigger. All right. Question number six. Uh, I like this one a lot from Ethan. Should the birds get more credit for their coach hiring abilities? Well, half the league shuffles around some combination of blah. Very aptly described. The Eagles have hired three guys with winning records, two number one seeds, and one Super Bowl since firing Andy, who was also like really good, in 2013. <laughs> Another listener points out that three of the eight coaches, uh, uh, Sirianni, Doug Peterson, Andy Reid, in the divisional round were first hired by Lurie. Uh, yeah. Holy smokes, man. Like, it, it's, they do, a, they do a really good job. Like, we're in the season where, like, I'm looking at, you know, what What are the Panthers going to do? Who are the Broncos going to get? And it's just like, all right, this is a mess. Like, uh, this is not the right way of going about things. Eagles really, like, even, you know, they've had more turnover than you'd expect. It's not like they've like, been the Steelers or anything. But still, like, in general, they're, I think their hiring process has been really, really good. And, you know, you can point to Chip as, you know, certainly a flawed head coach. But he had that early run that was pretty good. Yeah. And I'm not In terms be- of, like, extremely, like, outside-the-box innovative college hires right chip's pretty good on the scale right like chip kelly the individual didn't hang in the nfl as a head coach he's better suited for college where he kind of has more of his totalitarian control Mm -hmm. in terms of chip kelly the influencer the innovator like chip absolutely stuck in the nfl in terms of the way that he changed the nfl game the stuff that he brought so like again like it's grading on the the scale of hiring college coaches which is not a good scale overall but in that scale chip pretty solid and also, I just think it's a swing worth taking, even if it like was a disaster. He was such an intriguing candidate at the time. That's like, why not? Um, I will say, you know, to play devil's advocate, advocate, because it's not just fun to be like, yeah, they're great at it. All right, what else are yeah. we going to say? Move on to the next question. There is a, uh, there's always a fine line, if you want to call it that, or I always, the way I think about it is, 
some of these decisions are there's, there's a lot of like fragility to them in that the Eagles wanted to hire Ben McAdoo and they also wanted to hire Josh McDaniels before they hired uh, Nick Sirianni. There was a lot of buzz like that that was going to happen. Obviously, it didn't ultimately, and there was some reporting. I think that Lurie wasn't as big of a McDaniels guy as how he was. You know, who knows for sure, but. I remember like for a little bit there, there was like some credible people kind of like things are trending towards the Eagles hiring McDaniel. So, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you, you get lucky. Uh, also, you're good. I, I do think, you know, you have to give them credit, obviously, for the results of it all. But, you know, I'm just trying to say that yeah. it's not like, hey, this organization is infallible and they wouldn't even be close to making a bad decision. No. And, and the other thing is, like, you know, that. Howie conversations are very hard. Howie Roseman is one of the most, he's the most useful general manager in terms of like describing what is and isn't important for a general manager to do and like how do we evaluate general managers and like the whole Howie conversation is hours long. But in general, coaches who join rosters that have second round quarterbacks who have become starting caliber players, which like, you know, Shane Steichen and Nick Sirianni absolutely helped that. But like you have to draft the right guy. You have to draft the guy with talent and the guy with the right character, so on and so forth. Those coaches do well. Like, that generally occurs. Like, let's take the experience we've had of Sirianni and Steichen, and then let's take what happened to Frank Reich in Indianapolis, where he was also, like, a winning coach, both, like, the quarterback carousel they Mm -hmm. had. And Eagles fans should know very well, like, Frank's a solid offensive coach. Like, why didn't that work, quote-unquote? Why didn't didn't he get fired? It's because the roster was mismanaged, right? And it's like, you got to cope with the ingredients in the kitchen a little bit. And people like Doug and people like Sirianni who come in with, like, not a ton of offensive background and like maybe not like the biggest names and like you know the, the splashiest whatever and they come in and install their system like why have they been successful here they've had good good ingredients in the kitchen they really have over the course of, of howie's time here now we know how things ended with doug i'll be curious to see how things go with sirianni there's a second edge to that sword which is i control the 53-man roster on game day which is a little bit of a unique thing uh and so like you know it's if it's something that always expires it was something that like always leads to doug howie like that's gonna happen again with nick and howie like that's a problem but in general like why did some of these young offensive coaches come in and immediately have success it's because like they got really nice setups here in philadelphia in terms of the way that the roster's built uh in addition to roster control being you know uh, out of the coach's hands there's also the coaching yep. staff sometimes at least when they came to doug peterson right. so that's always something Which, to watch as well yeah uh, question 6b i was gonna ask you this Jim Schwartz becomes defensive coordinator of the oh. Cleveland Browns. How are we feeling, BLG? Are we excited for Cleveland? Got any 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 warnings for Browns fans who may be listening? I mean, I, I love it. Um, I doubt there are a lot of Browns fans listening. If they are, I appreciate it, I guess. Um, even though it's not my podcast. Um, uh, I like Jim Schwartz more than most, as you know, as, as most yep. know. If you look back at his playoff, I think it's just look at his playoff games alone with the Eagles. I know it's a small sample size. It's six. Six playoff games, Eagles defense gave up 17 points on average in those games. The one bad game they had was against literally the best player in NFL history in the Super Bowl. So, like, okay, he had that one game. And and, and even for that terrible game, his unit pr- produced, you know, a huge game-winning kind of turnover in a very crucial spot. So, even in the worst possible game, there, you know, there's still something to hang his hat on. So, yeah, I actually am excited for Schwartz and Cleveland. I am as well because the Browns defense was the softest, most frustrating defense to watch mm. in the league this year by a mile. Watching the Browns was like wow. horrible. Like Jonathan that. Gannon coached their defense? Yes. As <laughs> it, it, if Jonathan Gannon didn't have the Eagles defensive line, like 100%, where it's just like, this is not real. You can't be okay playing football like this. With Jim Schwartz, I don't know how much better they'll be. They'll be better. And most importantly, they will not be soft. They will not hurt my face to watch them play football. And that's what that's what's critical. How much does Ben Solak enjoy watching your team? That's what hirings <laughs> should be predicated on. Question seven. AA greetings from Liverpool. Oh, we already talked about this one a little bit, but we'll go through it anyway. Hmm. Um, some of the Eagles' issues have come with opponents dominating time of possession. You brought up that Washington game they lost. Do you think the Eagles would actually consider taking the ball first upon winning the toss and setting a mark? Also, are there any stats to prove deferring works? Wasn't there like a, a there was a, there was an ESP thing going on where like they were people were rooting for the Eagles to have the ball first for some reason? Like I don't there was some sort of like deferring drama that was going on that I didn't really understand. Well, in week 18, I think I was among them, people who just like wanted to see the offense first, because, you know, I think part of it was just curious seeing how Hertz looked right. after the layoff there. And also, in theory, like, hey, maybe you put him in early, 
and you get it, you know, you get the, you set the tone for the game. He's looking good. You're playing well, and then you can pull him out. I think that was kind of the thinking, as opposed to really caring right. so much about getting the ball back at the beginning of the second half. You would hope that he wasn't even in at the beginning of the second half. So whatever, uh, weird eight eight. But there's no chance they're going to defer at all. It's just not what they do. They're oddly good at winning the coin toss. I don't know if they have an edge there. So <laughs> probably not. Um, analytics, baby, compete. Coin toss analytics. Uh, but they are good at that. But there's no chance they're not going to defer. Although. I will say again, uh, hat tip to the great Denise, who uh, was on Birds with Friends a while ago and was talking about how, like, what are one of the, one is one of the biggest criticisms or gripes with Ganon because you know it kind of they go outside of what you can just look at on paper and like successful statistical measurements, and it's how maybe when you defer and the defense is on the field early in the game. And the crowd is kind of getting demoralized by like the the fourth, third, and four attempt on a long drive into right. a, into your own territory. There's something to that. Like that does take the wind out of the sails in the stadium. It does make the vibe a little bit anxious and or angsty. People are kind of getting restless in the building there. So I definitely think there is uh, something to that. Yeah. The uh, right how you handle the crowd and how you handle the vibe is always important. I do think that like you know. While the Eagles' offense less frequently has three and outs than the Gannon defense gives up fourteen play drives, it's still like you run the risk both ways. You know, what I'm sure. saying? You, can, you know, you you do like try to try to play for that. I don't think that they need to set a mark for time of possession. I don't think that they need to accept or defer. I do think that they got to get off the field like on third downs. Like I think like whether they start with the ball or the Giants start with the ball, whether they're up seven nothing or or zero zero whenever the Giants first get the ball. You have to be able to win in short yardage. You cannot let yourself get first drives of the New Orleans Saints did. You can't let yourself get first half of the Washington football team did, right? Like, it's, it's how you've lost games defensively. It's by at, get, constantly getting to third and two and then not getting the stops. And the Saints game was even tough because, like, they were getting into good calls and they were getting penetration and then they just couldn't get the tackle. And so even then, like, I, I take a little bit off Gannon's play on that where it's like, you know, they, like, you know, like, they don't have a lot of stopping power at linebacker, right? Like, even, like, if they were playing Nicobe Dean, Nicobe Dean doesn't have stopping power. So like they would, you know, get quarterback power. TJ Edwards would step down into the hole and then he'd get blown up by a double team. And it's like, you know, how much of that is Gannon? How much of that is Howie and the way he built linebackers? Like they get staying out of third and short is really important for them. And that's where like your ability to sack Daniel Jones is going to be really critical and your ability to man up and press and, and, and fluster these receivers off the line is going to be important. So if you can get to second and 10, you'll be okay. But if you keep going second and six, third and three, this defense isn't built for that. My last thing on the crowd, and maybe she won't like this, he, he famously crushed Bo Wolf one time for being like using the Eagles fans as a reason why they're going to win the game. But, uh, you know, she was there at the Phillies run, and I know it's a different team, different sport, but mm-hmm. and a different opponent. But I just remember being, I was at some of those games as well, especially in the NLDS. I went to one of the Braves games where, I forget which game it was, but it was the one where like Reese had that big home run. And you could just see the Braves were visibly demoralized by the, by the Phillies crowd just jumping on them. And they did not want to be there. You could just tell they did not want to be in the stadium. It was no fun. It stunk. It was miserable. And I think about the same way in twenty uh, in twenty seventeen. I'm referencing that year a lot uh, when you know obviously the Eagles had a slow start there to the Vikings. They gave up that touchdown drive, but once that Patrick Robinson interception happened, it was just over. Oh, yeah, it was just over. Yeah. Like the the building jumped on the Vikings at that point, and the Vikings were absolutely demoralized. So you know I do think you know if the Eagles can get off to the start, and you know the crowd can just kind of demoralize this Giants team, I think there is the potential for that opportunity. Yeah. In the immortal words of lifetime Philadelphia Eagle, Chris Long, anybody could have gotten it that night. That's right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I always will remember that, right? The video of them dancing in the pregame and getting the stadium hype. And it's just mm-hmm. at any time, any team could have gotten it that night. The, I would say the Eagles and Link are like we've seen in terms of like betting markets, we've seen uh, home field advantage depreciate, right? Matter less over the mm-hmm. last several years of football, especially post COVID. I would say the link in Philadelphia is one of the few places where it matters probably just about as much as it used to. Like, it's just, that's the nature of Philly fans. That's the nature of the stadium. And then, and if I were not an Eagles fan, I'd say the same thing. I've, I've, the only games I've ever been in the link have been like in the press box. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, I grew up going to the place and like I'm obsessed with it. It's just, when you look at like how the Eagles perform at home, when you look at the way they play, I guess the spread at home, like, yeah, it still matters there. Matters there a bit. Last thing I have real quick on that is this, I think, you know, having the night game helps. Certainly people are going to have all day to get ready for that. And then also there hasn't really been a home game at the link for a bit where 
it's had that juice because the New Year's Day game against the Saints, no juice. I, that was the easiest game I got into in terms of driving right. to the stadium all year because, you know, mm-hmm. it was after New Year's Eve and people were resting and whatnot. And then, you know, the week 18 game, like, uh, it just didn't matter really that much. Yeah. I mean, obviously the one seed and, is on the line, but. Right. I would also imagine coming off of a incredible Phillies playoff run, the city sure. itself is going to be like, all right, yep. run this back. And this time we're finishing the job. You know what I'm saying? I think, mm-hmm. yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of juice. All right. Question number eight. I think this is going to be a short answer from you and me. Bradley asks, what teams, if any, are capable of beating the Eagles if the Eagles are playing as the best version of themselves? Uh, to me, the Kansas City Chiefs. Mm. And that's the whole list. Wow. Right? I think, I think pa- again, like talk about anybody could get it that night. I think Patrick Mahomes, at his best, can beat any team. I don't really care how that team plays, what they play with, who the opposing quarterback is. like uh, To me, that, that's Mahomes. Mahomes in a separate tier of quarterback. He's in a separate tier of existence. Other than that, nah. hmm. Eagles are playing the best version of themselves with this pass rush, with this running game, right? The ability to kind of keep opposing offenses on the sideline, the ability to string together drives. Uh, if we get the best Eagles that we've seen all season, they'll beat the Niners. If we see the best Eagles we've seen all season, they're playing the Bengals, the Bills, the Jaguars. They're going to win that game. All those teams have, have issues that the Eagles are going to be capable of exploiting. The Chiefs are just... I can't, I can't in good conscience not put Mahomes in that answer. Other than that, yeah, best version of the Eagles wins the Super Bowl against everybody not named Andy and Andy and Patrick. Hmm. Maybe I'm just. Uh, maybe you're the homer. Maybe I'm a hater. I have four mm-hmm. teams here. I and maybe I'm not like because I don't know exactly what best like you know because I don't. I think even the Eagles defense at its best can still be like they could be at their best in theory, but because of the way stylistically that they play um, could have some issues. And, you know, I think the 49ers have to be on that list with just how hot they've been. I know Brock Purdy, whatever, but you know, so look what the 49ers did against the Seahawks. Like, they didn't even play well and it just crushed them. Yeah. And this, I'm not impressed. Brock with this. was objectively bad. And they just crushed him. 44 points or something. And I'm not like impressed with the Seahawks. To be clear, I think they had a really weak finish to the season. Um, so that's part of it. But the Chiefs definitely on the list. I think when I just think back to what was it last year's championship game or no, the uh, divisional round with the Bills and the Chiefs when Josh Allen can just potentially like have a perfect game. Uh, that scares me because if I'm also if I'm to presume the Eagles are having the perfect game, can I also presume that the other team might also have their perfect game? Is like, is that part of the is that part of the equation here? I. Uh- I would say yes, but even then, like Eagles' perfect game with with how talented this roster is, I think is better than the perfect game of a lot mm. of other teams. That's why that they're the best record in the in the league, man. Like that that's this quality of the roster. Okay. Though I guess like two teams both can't have a perfect game because it's inherently zero sum at sometimes, right? Like if James Bradbury has his perfect game, then Brandon Ayuk probably doesn't have his. Like that mm. kind of has to be the case. I don't know. I think given how much more talented the Eagles are than, than the Giants. I think given the fact that the Niners have a quarterback who's flusterable and turnoverable and beatable, and I think, like, you know, the Bills are, are hot and cold, the Bengals have offensive line issues. Like, I, I look at other teams, I say, okay, if the Eagles are playing at their top level, yeah. And, and accordingly, that means that if and when the Eagles leave the playoffs, it'll be in, in large part because of their own devices, because of their own demise, and that's, you know, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Question number nine comes from longtime <laughs> listener Ben Solak. Uh, who I didn't I don't really get what's going on and then we were bringing you on the show and I was like all right perfect I can ask BLG about that's this. right I have seen more pizza food related takes mm. from Eagles beat writers in the last few weeks than I am accustomed to seeing there was a pizza roll thing I think that happened a couple weeks ago and now there's this stuffed crust pizza thing where like <laughs> I don't even understand why we were asking Nick Sirianni what he was eating when they were watching Giants Vikings, but he brought up that he was eating Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza, and then Brian Dable got asked if he's eating this. Like, why do? Why are we? But this is the divisional round. There's the important questions. Jalen Hurts might be hurt. Why are we asking about pizza? So, first question is, what's going on with the pizza thing? And second question is, do you like Pizza Hut stuffed crust pizza? All right. This. So I wrote down some notes for each question. Yeah, break here. it no, down for me. Bring it. Nothing up. too crazy, but this is literally the longest section of notes that I wrote down is for this question. <laughs> it's like a paragraph. Um, my take. So to set the context, if if you or others didn't understand, you know, Sirianni was asked about like what he was doing, like how he was watching the Giants Viking scheme, and I think it was originally Bo Wolf who kind of asked that question. It was and, always Bo. Anytime you get one of these nonsense derivations, these tales, it's Bo. Well, Sirianni didn't want to give like a whole lot of 
he didn't really want to give a lot on that question. But then Tim McManus, shout out T-Mac, um, kind of pressed him a bit more just for like color. He wasn't, you know, trying to it's like, all right, you don't have to give me whatever exactly the schem- what you were watching for schematically. But like, how was the actual experience of it? You know, something that's really not too um, revealing information wise, competitive advantage. You know, Sirianni's obsessed with it. So he brought up that <laughs> they got some um, Pizza Hut stuffed crust. And everyone flipped out, including like Eagle Sands were like, wow, this is disgusting. Why wouldn't you go to any literally any local place nearby that you could go to? Uh, that's better. Yeah. OK, I got you. And, and Giants fans were like, oh, Nick Sirianni isn't even taking this matchup seriously. He's eating pizza. Yeah, I which saw, is- when I was doing research for this, I saw a lot of like, wow, this guy's arrogant. I was like, he got Pizza Hut <laughs> is arrogance. Pizza Hut. How much Pizza Hut cost it? So it's crazy. I will say that um, if I'm remembering correctly, I think at the end of last year, Nick Sirianni did say he wanted to lose weight after the season. Because then he admitted that, you know, you're, yeah. it's in season, you're grinding, busy. He's not really focusing on his health as much as he's just like, give me some good food <laughs> or whatever's quick and easy. Um, so I think that's part of it is why you wanted to get to that. But also, I'm going to defend Nick Sirianni here. I think people need to not be so elitist about chains in general. Look, I love, you know, local restaurants, local business. But, like, that doesn't mean chains don't have a spot at the table. I think especially um, – and look, you live in the Midwest now, um, which I think people know. Sorry to dox you if not. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like you've mentioned that. Is that no, like, it's okay. I talk all the time about what <laughs> I feel like some people don't, um, especially from maybe the coast, don't really respect that. In some areas of the country, chains are like the best options that people have, uh, especially when it might come to a certain food like pizza. Now people will be like, well, okay, that's not the case here in the Northeast in Philly where you know there's so much good Italian food and a lot of good pizza everywhere. And again, I agree with that. But also stuffed crust pizza is a very specific thing. You can just get that anywhere. Yeah. And sometimes you have an urge for that specific craving and so yes. here's a here's a good question that I don't even know what's going on with this. Um, is like where did which Pizza Hut did they go to? Because in South Philly, if I'm not mistaken, there really isn't even a Pizza Hut nearby. I think there's one in the Northeast somewhere. Um, maybe I don't know if you went to freaking South Jersey to get Pizza Hut. Uh, imagine like paying the toll just to get Pizza Hut. But right. uh, yeah, there. So and look, I've actually done my research. I've had the same craving like Nick Sirianni did once upon a time. I don't just need pizza. I need stuffed. Crust I need stuff. It's a very specific yes. thing. That, and that, that's that's the most. That's the salient point here. Is like let's let's let's. Oh, you know, you and I are good friends. I'm okay <laughs> with sharing this side of myself. Sometimes I need to be a little pig man, right? Sometimes I don't of want course. just pizza. I need the grossest pizza and like the most like they stuffed extra cheese in this. As many. Well, you love cheese. Oil. I love exactly, cheese. Exactly. Yeah. Like. Like, I, like there are times when, you know, like it's takeout night for me and my wife and Mary's like, oh, well, you know, what do you want to get? And all I do is just make sounds. I'm like, I just want something that's just like, <laughs> I just want to be a little <laughs> goblin in my dark house watching my movie and just like nobody knows that I'm just the most disgusting food consumer that ever existed. And for Nick Sirianni, who, you know, he's Nick. He's just, he's what he is to say, listen, it was stuffed crust night. What can I say? It's a playoffs. It's stressful. All right. I wanted to eat the pizza that had the cheese and I wanted the crust to also have the cheese. I respect it. So I agree with you. Sometimes, right, it's just you got a little pig man craving and you got you got you to scratch the itch. And I actually went out and found a place in Philly, local place, not a chain, that does stuffed crust pizza. Like that had it on their menu. It was, first of all, it was very hard to find. And I did. And I went there and it was disappointing, Ben. Like it, it was hollow. It was the, so the area for where like the cheese should have been filled with. It had like a little bit at the bottom. So there was more than none at all, but it was just wholly unsatisfying. Yeah, so it was not stuffed crust pizza. It was hollow crust pizza with cheese. Right. It should have. The it, stuffing I, was not happening. It yeah. was an attempt. And actually, the pizza was actually fine. It was good. Like, I didn't have a problem with the actual pizza part. It wasn't a bad pizza. Um, so, you know, if you happen to find out the place I'm talking about, if you look it up, uh, it's worth a try. I don't, I don't want to kill their business or anything. But it's just the execution, at least in my one time, was disappointing. Um, I do want to give some recommendations if you're looking for, if you're going to be an elite and you're looking for pizza the best pizza in philly to me is either angelo's which is a very basic take uh it's on ninth and fitzwater um elite level and then that's like my 1a that's my maybe yeah. my aj brown and my Devonte smith would be mm. pizza john in maniunk um worth the trip not you know like downtown or anything but worth the trip up to maniunk very very good pizzas mm-hmm. there cliff can we get a pizza check-in for philadelphia oh cliff yeah i can't wait the, for yeah. this the the food racks are always strong with cliff. firstly i want to hear upsetting <laughs> Whether or not Nick Sirianni went and got stuffed crust pizza instead of Philly pizza, I want that number one. And then number two, I want Pizza Rex uh, for Philadelphia. Hit me with it. 
I'm not even going to hold you. A pizza wreck in Philly. Um, it's actually, I actually know the owners. Uh, it's called Trios. They're all around, I'm going to say, like the Glenside area. They're out in Abington. Um, they might have a Northeast location, so try out Trios Pizza. There's one right in Elkins Park, right in um, right on uh, Tuppelhocken Avenue. So try that out. A lot of people like the Lorenzo's down on South Street. I'm not really that big of a fan. I think it's kind of dog water, to be honest. <laughs> That's like drunk pizza, Cliff. Yeah, That's like, you know, you're on South Street, yeah, you're drinking. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Not, yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not really with all that, but like pizza, I mean, Philly pizza is like great and all that, but there's so many other different types of foods in Philly that you want to get before oh, pizza. Right, like, yeah. I'm not about to put some Dave Portner <laughs> level of a pizza, pizza review or something like that, but there's a lot of different food before pizza in Philly that you, you should definitely try out. But there's a ton of great pizza parlors if they still call that that. Was that how are you feeling about stuffed crust? Are you like oh, some of these Philly fans who are upset he didn't go low? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The stuffed crust is the stuffed crust is fire, especially the stuff from uh yeah. from Pizza Hut. I don't know why people was coming yeah. to Sirianni for that. Like, what was what was all the hate for that? It's elitism. Like, stuff- it's, it's Philly food elitism. Yeah, like what are we too right, good for yeah, Pizza right. Hut nowadays? Are we? Yeah. Good? Are we too good for the Domino's? You know, at a certain time, like you gotta understand. I went here? and I went to college in Chicago, where you know pizza's deep dish, mm. right? Like if I you know rough week got exams coming up full giordano's pizza like six inches thick and then i just lived yeah. in the mini fridge for the week and that's how we made the weekend that's how we made it all right we've all we've all been there uh appreciate it cliff. Exactly. Oh, nothing better than when cliff comes in with a, just a real solid well i know the owners just a classic <laughs> cliff just you know honestly dropping the names we appreciate it all right final question question number 10 as we usually end our 10 questions is game predictions. Uh, so broke down a lot of this Eagles game, broke down the Eagles playoff expectations. But here they go. We got the Giants. This is something that basically Shiel and I asked for last week. It'd be great if they got the Giants in this game. So uh, score prediction, Brandon, how do you think it goes? Who do you think wins? What does it look like? I think the Giants are going to do what they've done for most of the, this season, and that is hang around. Uh, I think one would be remiss to think it's going to be as easy as it was for the Eagles in week 14 for many reasons, including not knowing exactly where Jalen Hurts is at. Um, Lane Johnson, you know, not necessarily being available or 100 percent for or available for the game entire in its entirety. Obviously, expect him to start and see how it goes. Um, Giants are healthier. They have some momentum, if you want to call it that, if you believe in that. At the end of the day, though, I just think it's going to come down to the talent. And the Eagles have more of that. And I think, I don't know who, someone's going to make a big play at the end of the game. Um, maybe it could be big play Slay himself and make me look mm-hmm. like a fool for criticizing him earlier. Uh, I think it's a one-score game until late in the game. And then the Eagles get to get that nail-in-the-coffin touchdown. They win. They advance to the NFC Championship game. They win by a score of 30-20. to 20. Yeah, so uh, Eagles 7.5-point favorites right now in FanDuel. Over-under set of 48.5. So you're looking at basically like, 28 to 20 kind of you know 28 to 21 sort of a game uh i think that's about right i agree with you i think it's going to be close i think it's going to be gritty i think it's going to be sweaty i think the giants are going to have fake punt you know on fourth and three that they convert on and they're going to have some you know third and 13 touchdown that they get on some catch and run by daniel bellinger like it's going to be knockout stuff they're going to hang around like the, the it that's the nature of this team they are scrappy they got belief in, and they do have momentum I, that's something i believe in i think they have it that idea of like that Eagles last touchdown, I think kind of sealing the win in the cover makes sense to me. I think we'll also see a few more points than are, than are expected. To me, like this reads mm. like 34-23, 34-21 sort of a game. I expect the Eagles to win because the Eagles are the better team. Eagles are, are more talented across the roster, uh, and that's what I, I'd like for them to get. So I like the Eagles to cover. I like the points to go over. I have a full same game parlay that's coming out for this game. I'll be on New York, New York, our uh, New York show with John Drashkemsky talking bets for this game as well. Uh, but most importantly, critically... I do have actually a text from Shield with uh, his game prediction. Shield's predicting 28 to 20 Eagles win and cover pretty much right on, on the line as it's set now. Shield also adds Cowboys come to the link for the NFC Championship game next week. He thinks they beat the Niners. I'm not there just yet on my uh, on my uh, prediction for the other NFC divisional round game, but that is Shield's prediction. Thank you for Brandon Lee Gowan. Pinch hitting for us here. If you don't follow BLG stuff, colossal moron. Please go ahead and uh, I'm saying that's the person who doesn't follow, not you. you no, know, you're calling me a colossal moron. You are a colossal moron. Uh, go and follow uh, BLG's work at bleedinggreennation.com, at BGN Radio, where all the shows are. Anything else I should shout out, BLG, for your work? Well, the hashtag Jersey Number Analytics Podcast will be out, I'm sure, after the draft sometime in May. So looking forward to doing that with you yeah. on the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. But thank you so much to BLG. Everybody send your best well wishes to Sheila as he gets healthier. And we will talk to you. 
Post-game, Shield and Ben back. Uh, Eagles-Giants. BLG, thanks so much, brother. Of course.